It is Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. Welcome back to another episode of Pro Football Network's premier fantasy football podcast. Once again, I'm your host, BJ Rudell. With me, as always, is Jason Katz, our fantasy analyst at PFN, better known as Katz. Uh, we are, uh, Katz and I are pretty fired up today, I gotta say, and we are ready to talk some football. Uh, we're gonna talk about running backs who were drafted, uh, basically uh, eight of them. Uh, and uh, or maybe nine, depending on how we feel, and talk about the likely fantasy implications or ranges of fantasy production that we are anticipating at this early stage on May 4th. We know the season does not start for another four months, a little bit more than four months, but we, th- we're going to gradually narrow the window of possibilities around these players. And right now there is a pretty broad window around some of these players, and there's a somewhat narrow window, window around some of these other players. But there are some things to think about over these next few months, and we're going to talk through that, which may impact their fantasy value. So I'm going to start with Brees Hall for you, Cats. Uh, what are your thoughts on Hall in the context of where he's going and what role he might play? Uh, I, I view Brees Hall as, I'm not going to say a generational talent, but he is a clear, clear elite prospect. He's an excellent running back, and he's deserving of being the RB1 in this class, and he's far and away the best rookie running back. Uh, now we have landing spots. This is, this is a redraft focused podcast here. So we need to talk about what can he do this year on the Jets? We know they have Michael Carter, which unfortunately is a cautionary tale for those going forward on ever relying on day three running backs. Michael Carter was very good last year, but it's a fourth round pick. And the reality is teams just look to replace these guys. And sure enough, it happened again. The Jets grabbed the Brees Hall at the top of the second round. He is going to be their lead back. The question is, how significant of a role will Michael Carter play? Brees uh, Hall had a 10.7% college target share, which means he is heavily involved in the passing game, which is a role that Michael Carter played last year. Will Brees Hall take that work? I don't think so. I think that it's going to be a bit of a mix. I think it'll be maybe a little favor toward Carter in terms of the passing work, but Brees Hall will dominate the early down carries. The Jets did not draft Brees Hall to put him in a timeshare with Michael Carter. I don't believe that. So we're looking at Brees Hall, who I don't want to say he has RB1 upside, but I think he has high RB2 upside uh, if the Jets' offense continues to improve, which we should believe it will, given the weapons that the team has put around Zach Wilson for his second season. Cool. I, you're more bullish on him than than I am. Uh, I'm very concerned about this backfield from a fantasy perspective. I think it could go the way of the Bills last year, except uh, with a much, much worse offense. And that may not be fair to say because the Jets offense should improve. Uh, but it is dangerous to have a uh, bottom half passing offense um, that is supported by two young running backs um who could cancel each other out i'm very concerned that neither of them will be in the top 24. Um, i am a little bit concerned that someone like a a tevin coleman or a ty johnson or somebody else could step in and play a spoiler as a number three i think the jets right now are in this position where um, they have the most on the field talent you know player to player that they've had in many years uh, probably since the days that Ryan Fitzpatrick was thrown to Brandon Marshall and uh, and Eric Decker. Um, and so this is a case where I'd be concerned about picking one horse. And as a result, if either of them are ranked in the top 24, I would fade both. Um, shifting gears, and, and Katz and I are going to go back and forth on this. So just so you all know, listening, uh, I will not always get the last word. Uh, Katz deserves the last word 
just as much. Uh, Kenneth Walker, cats. What do you think of Kenneth Walker? And and even taking a step back, the Seahawks um, surprised me, uh, surprised some others with some of their uh, decision making. Um, I'm not a GM. I, I'm not smart. I don't know what they're doing. But I had to think that well, there are a lot of good quarterbacks on the board when they took Kenneth Walker, uh, but they took Kenneth Walker. And the question uh, for you is, what what realistic fantasy role do you think Walker is going to play with Chris Carson and Rashad Penny still on the team? I know you said that you don't know what they're doing, and that's because they also don't know what they're doing. I mean, this is a front office that has been an absolute disaster for the better part of a decade now. Um, they had the right had Russell, they drafted Russell Wilson, they had the Legion of Boom, but since then, uh, this has been a a front office that has not drafted well, and they just waste resources on the wrong positions. They wasted Russell Wilson's prime by running the ball over and over again. This is a team that traded up into the first round to draft Rashad Penny only to put him behind seventh rounder Chris Carson for the better part of four years. Then when Rashad Penny finally breaks out over the second half of the 2021 season and proves that he actually is talented enough to be their RB1, what do they do? They go and spend a high second round pick on another running back. I have no idea what they're doing. I don't know what this split's going to look like between Kenneth Walker and Rashad Penny. You want to say they spent the high second round pick on Kenneth Walker. He's going to be the guy. Why wouldn't he be? Well, why wasn't Rashad Penny the guy when they spent the first round pick on him? So it's really difficult to get a read on what Pete Carroll is, is doing this season. I think the best case scenario is the Seahawks are terrible. Pete Carroll gets fired. And then Kenneth Walker ascends to, to be a, at a high RB2 in fantasy in 2023. I know that doesn't help you in 2022, but that's where I'm at with this. I really don't like this pick. Um, yeah, that's you said it more bluntly than I would, but I agree with you 100%. Uh, Kenneth Walker doesn't add another level to uh, to this backfield. I, I mean, he and neither he nor Rashad Penny are big in the passing game. Um, and maybe Kenneth Walker steps up in that area in his first year in the NFL. Uh, but probably not. Chris Carson is the best pass catcher, and he's also uh, his future in the NFL is the most in doubt. Um, and so the big question is going to be if Chris Carson is healthy, what is anyone doing drafting any of these guys? Um, but more to the point, if Chris Carson's not ready to go week one, or if it's seen that he is not going to be a, a big part of this offense early going, then what do you do with Rashad Penny and Kenneth Walker? You've got two guys who are basically pounding the ball four or five yards a carry at an optimal level, but in a worse offense than last year with Drew Locke, probably quarterback, and probably not catching many balls out of the backfield because that's not what they do. So this becomes a very one-dimensional kind of situation where you have two running backs canceling each other out in the worst possible way on a sub-par offense uh, and not catching the ball to pad their PPR stats. So uh, in this case, I, I would put both of them outside of the top 28 unless, and of course, all this is subject to change, as we know, if August, one of them steps up and becomes the starter. If we see another Elijah Mitchell kind of situation where Raheem Mostert gets hurt and Mitchell becomes the guy, well, if Penny gets hurt and Kenneth Walker is the guy, then of course you trust in Kenneth Walker as long as he's the guy. But right now, this is a very muddy situation and a suboptimal situation. And and uh, and cats, you have some names for me, I think. Yes, I was, was going to lead right into there, but you 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 dropped, you dropped me there. So I'll, I'm I'll sorry. Take I, I was... <laughs> no, I, I just wanted to close out with um with Kent Walker, but but just saying that I I agree with your uh your statement about ranking them both outside the top twenty eight in my very 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 preliminary. 2022 redraft rankings. I've got Walker 32 and Penny 38. 
I'm sure this stuff will change, oh, wow. especially as we learn more from training camp and preseason. But right now, this is a situation where we don't know, and I'm not sure if we're going to know. Now on to the uh, third running back selected in the NFL draft this year. The Buffalo Bills drafted James Cook at the very end of the second round. There were some talks pre-draft that they were considering taking Brees Hall with their first-round pick. They did not do that, which was a smart move because they do not need to be spending a first-round pick on a running back, and they do seem to be a forward-thinking organization that would not do that. And sure enough, they did draft James Cook in the second round. So, BJ, I, I give the floor to you. What are your thoughts on James Cook and what he can do in year one playing alongside Devin Singletary? Well, I like this. Uh, I like this move. Uh, Devin Singletary, uh, as as I made clear uh, on the uh, PFN Facebook blog uh, for much of last year, even when Zach Moss was outproducing Singletary in fantasy, the metrics showed that Singletary was the better back. And so eventually Singletary was going to take over. But the concern with Singletary is this is not someone that they want to give 250 touches to. Um, Singletary uh, was fantastic. He was a revelation. He finally got the touches he deserved. James Cook is probably going to be getting more of the passing game work. That is the report. And if we are to believe that, then Singletary loses a lot of his luster. Um, he's, he now becomes a guy who can still rush for five yards to carry, but if he's rushing at 12 times for 60 yards and he's catching one ball, that's not going to sustain you if you're drafting Singletary as an RB2, for example. And before the draft, Singletary was a trendy, probably top 14, top 16 fantasy pick. Now you're looking at a guy who's probably top 26 because it's unclear just how much that passing game usage is going to impact Singletary. Uh, but in my view, it's going to impact him uh, tremendously. Again, anything can happen. Uh, Singletary could, you know, a cook could fall flat. But Singletary has caught uh, close to 80 balls the last two seasons. Like that is a, a pretty big part of his offense. Um, and uh, to lose that and probably not gain more carries in the process, uh, you're looking at a guy who realistically will finish outside the top 30, um, and I don't see it changing unless, again, something dramatically changes on the death chart by August. What are your thoughts, Cats? I'm a little torn on this. It was very clear by their attempt to, their attempt to sign J.D. McKissick that the Bills were looking to get a running back to complement Singletary. Singletary played 100% of the snaps in the Bills' uh, playoff loss to the Chiefs. They do not want him to be that type of guy. But I do, I do still think that he's going to be this 65-70% uh, this snap share guy. The problem is we know that a target is worth 2.5 to 3 times more than a carry. And Singletary already wasn't necessarily the most heavily targeted running back. Yes, you are correct when you're saying that receiving was a big part of his game. He had games last season with five receptions, seven receptions, six receptions, and five receptions. So that's four times he had at least five receptions in a game. He also had he also had several games, most of them with only one or two receptions. And he was still able to produce in fantasy. So if he's going to be getting... 15 to 20 carries a game, which is what we saw toward the end of the season. I think he still will be an RB2 playing on an explosive Bills offense that you would think would like to at least try and scale back on Josh Allen taking beatings at the goal line. Perhaps Singletary's touchdown upside could remain where it is. He scored 14 times last year. That is a lot. Uh, if he can get to maybe 12 this year, even with James Cook, I can, still, I can see him still being that RB2 type that averages maybe – 13, 14 fantasy points per game in PPR leagues. But I do think James Cook is going to play the primary passing down role. 
right out of the gate as a rookie. He will immediately be the RB2. And the question is, well, he can also run the ball. That's that's something he can do. He's still a running back. Right. So if, he's gonna, if he's gonna eat even four to six carries a game, plus he's gonna dominate passing down work, then that'd be a real problem for Singletary. I think this is something we just need to monitor and, and try to try to sift through the reports we get through training camp during the preseason and try and get an idea of what we think this split will be and then act accordingly. Right now, it's still a bit too early to make any definitive predictions. And I'll just add very quickly, what you just said hits it on the head. Right now, if the assumption is that Cook is going to get most of the passing game usage, which which right now is the expectation, but who knows? If you just look at the raw production numbers, what that means for fantasy points, it is likely that Singletary will be ranked ahead of Cook. And as a result, I think Cook is going to be the undervalued, is going to be the buy play in that backfield in the same way that Singletary was the year before. And I think a lot, a lot of it also depends on ADP, which again, right now, I know the ADP exists, but it means nothing because the sample size is so small. It'll, it'll, it'll become large enough when the people that, that the masses that play fantasy football, the billions of people will get back to drafting and mocking as we get into July and August. And we'll, we'll get that ADP starts to really, really fine tune. And then we can actually uh, make inferences and draw conclusions off of it. But right now, I do think it would depend on, on how much each of them costs. I'm not necessarily saying just take the cheaper one. We know that'll be Cook. But it depends how much cheaper it, it, are these guys. Do, do they end up being close in ADP? Is, is Singletary going later than we expect? We'll see how that shakes out. Uh, so yeah. moving off of Cook and to the next guy, we're going to discuss Rashad White, drafted by the Bucks. Uh, the Bucks re-signed Leonard Fournette to a three-year deal. They also brought back Giovanni Bernard. They still have Keyshawn Vaughn. Ronald Jones left. Now they add Rashad White to the mix. BJ, tell me what you think about this. I think. Uh, it's it's bad news for Keyshawn Vaughn, who actually I really liked uh, going into this offseason. Um, I felt that uh, the possibility of Fournette and or Jones, uh, Ronald Jones, both re-signing with the Bucks was less than 50-50. Um, uh, it, it worked out with Jones, but Fournette did re-sign. I, and also the assumption was that Brady would stay retired. So I really imagined a situation where Kyle Trask or someone else would be quarterbacking or presumably someone better that they could get in free agency or through a trade, and that Keyshawn Vaughn would finally get the opportunity to show what he can do. This uh, uh, selection of Rashad White uh, is a reminder of what the team thinks of Keyshawn Vaughn. Uh, He will probably be the number three unless something dramatically changes. Uh, White is arguably, at least in the short term, should be viewed as an upgrade, as someone who the Bucks are investing in as their number two. And as a result, White has exceptional value in fantasy. If you can get a guy who is more likely than not to be the handcuff for someone like Leonard Fournette, who is a slim bet to play all 17 games and probably less than 50-50 to play more than 14 games, um, for one of the best offenses in the league, you pounce on it. I mean, this is a case where I think White could be, a if, if he shows well in camp, and really asserts himself as the handcuff, I would probably put him as a top five handcuff uh, in the in the Tony Pollard, uh, A.J. Dillon, you know, Alexander Madison vein. And I wouldn't be surprised if they give White some work as soon as week one to see what he can do. Uh, I'm not saying, by the way, a lot of work. Fournette is a starter. But I do think that White is one of those guys who uh, people should be uh, pe- putting a pen around, not a pencil, but a pen circling his name to make sure you get him in drafts. Katz, what do you think? It's an interesting situation 
I think we can agree that Leonard Fournette is going to be the feature back. And I'm pretty confident he's going to be a three down back because, and this is, this is a guy who led all running backs in targets per game last season with six. Tom Brady loves throwing to his running back and Fournette was the only one he could truly trust last season, especially once Giovanni Bernard got hurt. Uh, Giovanni Bernard is still there, but this is, uh, he's not the running back he used to be. And he's going to, he's going to turn 31 years old this season. Uh, they brought him back on a one-year deal. They don't really have any allegiance to him. My, my question for for the for Rashad White is: Does he usurp Bernard for that primary like passing down type running back right out of the gate? And I'm not sure. He was drafted at the very end of the third round. Uh, the Bucks track record with how they used Keyshawn Vaughn when they took him. I believe they. I believe he was also a third round pick. I'm going to fill this up right now. Yep. Keyshawn Vaughn was taken early third round, and he didn't play as a rookie. They buried him. So I'm I'm worried that Rashad White is the backup. To, he's the Giovanni Bernard handcuff, and Keyshawn Vaughn's the Leonard Fournette handcuff, and he would need either the right injury or multiple injuries to end up producing. Uh, I do like him as a player. I really like him. I mean, he ran a 440 yard dash at six at six foot 214 pounds. That is really impressive. He had a 19 percent college target share. I mean, this guy is a receiver. In his final season at Arizona State, he had 43 receptions in 11 games. Um, th- I mean, this is exactly what the Bucks are looking for in a guy to be an upgrade on Giovanni Bernard. I sincerely hope he plays ahead of Giovanni Bernard because Bernard does not need to be in any sort of relevant role at, at this age, this point of his career. But I, I don't know, and I'm worried that if anyone drafts White in August or early September, he'll be sitting on your bench for a week or two, he'll barely see the field, and you'll end up dropping him because you just won't be able to burn the roster spot. Yeah. I, one thing I'll comment on very quickly uh, with uh, the Bucks and using Keyshawn Vaughn, Bruce Arians was the head coach uh, when they drafted uh, Vaughn. Bruce Arians has a history of not trusting his rookie running backs. He did that to David Johnson uh, back in, uh, it was like 2015, I think, who uh, he was uh, clearly the better back uh, in a, with an aging 30 year old, Chris Johnson and uh, a, unrealized potential Andre Ellington, um, if I remember correctly. And uh, and he still didn't use David Johnson that much until his next season. I think that Keyshawn Vaughn was just a, uh, a victim of, um, I mean, clearly he was not ready to be the starter, but I think his rookie year, you can throw that out of the window because you have a new management. And I think that uh, uh, we can we can't uh, uh, say that White will not be involved because he's a rookie. I think it's quite possible that the team realizes Gio Bernard is not the answer um, and uh, and that they need to see what they have in White, knowing uh, that Fournette is probably going to get hurt at some point or probably needs some game management, and they need to have a guy who's not named Gio Bernard helping to carry the load. But sorry, Cats, I just want to jump in with that, um, not to slow things down. No, no need to apologize. There, it's just, this is the discussion we 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 want to get. We want to cover every possible avenue we can. And I'm in agreement with you. I think that Rashad White should be the guy, and I do think that there is a scenario where he does have like RB three four type fantasy value as yeah. someone you put in, and maybe you can get four to six points a week with the upside of more if something happens to Fournette. And I also agree that Fournette is one of the bigger injury risks at the running back position. Uh, so there's definite upside here. He will be somebody that should be drafted in redraft leagues. How long yeah. you hang on to him? That's a different story, but he'll be someone that should be drafted. Very good. Well, let's shift to uh, uh, 49ers. Uh, Tyrion Davis-Price 
Um, and uh, uh, certainly a fascinating pick, um, but I guess you can't blame the Niners because one of their backs, sometimes all four, get hurt every season. Um, what do you make of that pick in light of uh, Elijah Mitchell and even a little bit of Jeff Wilson? Uh, yeah, I mean, th that pick did occur a little earlier than I thought it would. Um, Darren Davis Price drafted at the end of the third round, so we got day two draft capital, which is interesting from a team that spent day two pick on a running back last year that they never used in Trey Sermon and then spent another day three pick on Elijah Mitchell, and they hit on him. I understand the value in having running back depth and having multiple guys that can that can perform, especially since Elijah Mitchell, he was hurt in his own right last year. He only played in, in 11 games. So I, maybe they're concerned, and they very, very clearly do not believe in Trey Sermon. So let's get that, that out of the way uh, first. If yeah, you are in I didn't a, even mention his name for that reason. If you are in a redraft league. If you are in any league of any size, with any rules, Drop Trey Sermon. He has no fantasy value. 30 teams, 30 man deep. I don't care. Drop him. He has absolutely no fantasy value. He will never matter. They are done with him. Elijah Mitchell is the one. I think Jeff Wilson will still be the two. And then Terry Davis Price is probably going to be the three. Michael Hasty is going to be the four. That's your 49ers depth chart. Uh, in terms of fantasy this year for Terry and Davis Price, we know Elijah Mitchell is going to be the lead back. I don't see a scenario where Davis Price has fantasy value unless there's an injury in front of him. At the same time, I think that it's likely there will be a point in the season where Mitchell misses a couple games, where Jeff Wilson misses a, misses a couple games, perhaps both at the same time. I think Davis Price is somebody that will not be drafted in redraft leagues, standard size, but he he's probably going to be on the redraft radar at some point during the season. The question I have with the Niners every year, and I had it with uh, some, some readers last year when they were high on Raheem Mostert, was um, uh, the Niners don't care who the starter is. They go with uh, who makes the most sense week to week. And as you know, it is, it's a little bit like Bill Belichick and the way he approaches it with Kyle Shanahan. It's, it is, uh, uh, there, it's not about loyalty. It's about who's the best player uh, that we have who can get the job done. And last year, Elijah Mitchell was the best guy. Jeff Wilson finally got healthy, um, didn't really flash the way he did the year before. And uh, and Mitchell took back over, you know, when he was healthy. But I, I I wouldn't put it past this team if Mitchell got hurt, if Mitchell had a bad game, to see what they have in Davis Price. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's a risky situation this year. The fact that they drafted another running back when they didn't objectively need one. And if you if you if you're not talking about the Niners, if you just look at it on paper and say they have a starting running back. They have a guy, a backup, who can be a starter on some teams. Jeff Wilson, you know, has flashed enough to show what he can do. And they have this unrealized uh, second-year player who they've just apparently given up on. Uh, but, you know, they, they at least have the foundation of a solid one-two punch if they need to. To get another guy, yeah, it's very useful. But I don't think they get that guy unless they're thinking that they might need to use him. Um, Trey Sermon will probably be inactive uh, a bunch of games, uh, but I, I see I'm a little higher on Davis Price because I think there's going to be those spots, spot start opportunities that are going to develop, and I think they're going to see what they have in him. Um, uh, shifting gears uh, to, uh, and we've got a few more names, folks, Brian Robinson of the Commanders, um, a pretty uh, shocking, I, my mouth dropped uh, when they uh, made that pick, um, and I'll leave it at that. Katz, what are your thoughts fantasy-wise? Uh, 
Talent-wise, I'm not the biggest fan of Brian Robinson. I compared him, I know, on the previous podcast to Bo Scarborough, and that's kind of what I see. There are others who say that he is much better than that, that he's, that he's actually has talent. I mean, he did run a 4.5, 340 at 6'2", 224. That is very impressive. But, I mean, this is this is a five-year collegiate player. I know it doesn't matter as much at running back, but we're talking about a player that had to stay in school for five years because he couldn't get the starting job over running backs that kept coming in and leaving Alabama. And every single one of them was better than Brian Robinson since 2017. It took all of them leaving for Robinson to eventually get that starting role. And I'm not saying these guys, I know that the Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs, these are, these are okay running backs, but these are not like superstars. And Brian Robinson couldn't really get on the field with them there. He needed them all to leave. Uh, I really am not concerned about this pick in terms of Antonio Gibson. I'm far more concerned with J.D. McKissick capping his upside. His return means that, that that rushing attack and that backfield split is going to look very similar to how it did last year with Gibson's passing game work just not being there. Uh, in terms of Robinson, he's a handcuff. That's what he is. I think that he will likely be drafted in your standard 12-team uh, redraft leagues because if Gibson does get hurt, they're not going to give McKissick 20 carries. It's going to be Robinson. He'll, he will, he is an upgrade on Jared Patterson. That, that's, that's how I see him. I don't think that anyone should knock Gibson for the Robinson pick. Whatever you thought of Gibson after McKissick sign should be your, that, that opinion should hold mm-hmm. uh, good or bad. And, but in, but Robinson, he's a handcuff and I do think he can have fantasy value if Gibson gets hurt. And we know that he, Played through injury last year. He didn't miss a game also due to COVID. So, and plus he's a running back. That could happen. But, um, but yeah, I don't see Robinson having any standalone value. Uh, that's good intel, good insights. I, I am uh, a little more concerned about Gibson. I got to be honest. When a team drafts a running back in the third round, it's the same thing with the Niners. I mean, the, Washington has a lot of holes to fill. Uh, bolstering their backfield was not one of them. They must have felt with two other running backs going in the previous six or seven picks that they had one more chance to get maybe, uh, you know, one of their primary targets off the board. Um, but, you know, David Bell went next for Cleveland. And and I, I would argue that David Bell uh, might have been a better fit uh, for Washington, uh, given their needs, uh, than getting a running back who uh, is going to struggle to get any volume uh, most weeks. But if he does get volume, is it volume, is it addition uh, by subtraction, so to speak? I mean, is Robinson getting volume at the expense of Gibson. And then what are you getting out of that as a team? So fantasy wise, yeah, you have to hope that Gibson is untouched by this, that he's going to get his 225 to 250 touches um, and still be kind of on the fringes of RB1 territory when healthy. Um, I am I am more concerned than you are about that. I think that uh, the writing's on the wall right now that Washington doesn't really have a strategy when it comes to their uh, offense. I mean, uh, taking on Carson Wentz, um, and uh, not significantly bolstering their receiving core, uh, and then adding Brian Robinson tells me that they've got a lot of parts, uh, but they're not prioritizing how to use the great parts they do have more effectively. Uh, they could have bolstered their offensive line more to make Gibson a, a better, uh, you know, uh, an improved running back, and J.D. McKissick an improved third down back instead of adding another running back. So the, the decision-making impacts how I think they might use Robinson, which is more than we want them to use him, uh, because otherwise, what's the point of getting a running back in the third round if he's just going to be inactive some weeks? Um, uh, so I, I am concerned based on that reasoning and that Washington uh, franchise 
uh, really doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, and I say that as someone who I don't know what I'm talking about because I'm not a GM, but objectively, I think they made some big mistakes. And I think Gibson gets hurt fantasy wise as a result. Uh, Kat, what do you got for me? I think we've got uh, maybe two more names. I, I, yeah, I got to get something in here because I, I know that you mentioned drafting him in the third round. And I do, I, I please, day, day two draft capital matters. But if we go back and look through the annals of history at, at running backs drafted in the third round or, or in day two in general, 2021, Trey Sermon, we thought they'd use him. They didn't. 2020, we saw uh, Keyshawn Vaughn, Zach Moss, and Darrington Evans all drafted in the third round. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that uh, Zach Moss had, had had moments, but like the reality is none of these guys ever mattered. Uh, in 2019, the Patriots drafted Damian Harris in the third round. They did not play him as a rookie. The Rams took Daryl Henderson in the third round. They did not play him as a rookie either. Uh, the only one that really mattered was Devin Singletary and and David Montgomery. Those two, those two did matter, but which was still still there's still another two running backs there third round that didn't really matter. 2018 Broncos take Royce Freeman in the third round. Push Philip Lindsay right ahead of him. We we can we can go back and back. I can go through this, yeah. you know, go yeah. through history. But there are plenty of of third round running backs that are taken that you think, oh, they're going to use this guy, and then they just don't use him at all. So so I just want to push back a little bit on the notion that just because they took him in the third round, it means they they have intent to use him. That's all. That's fair enough. Great stuff. On to uh, we've got uh, I think uh, let's do two more cats. You want to give me uh, two more, and we'll and then we'll uh, wrap this up. Yeah, two more. So uh, the Texans, uh, Texans signed Marlon Mack in the offseason, and then they drafted uh, Damian Price in the fourth round, the early fourth round of this year's draft. Uh, what do you think of Damian Price's chances of doing something this year? Uh, Damian Price, and this is uh, uh, current news, uh, and so I'm, I, I want to be very upfront about where this news came from, that yesterday uh, – uh, general manager uh, Nick Casario said that Price would have to quote create a role for himself, um, and then went on to talk about kind of the the very uh, um, uncertainty of this backfield. Which, of course, if you're a fantasy manager, you just want clarity. That's what most fantasy managers want. Tell me who's starting, so I know who to start. And it's not going to be that easy. You have, like you said, Marlon Mack who Katz, you and I have talked about in a previous episode, and I believe we were on the same page. I don't think we were to start the episode, but I think we came to the same page by the end of the episode or close to it, which is that Mac was deceptively uh, good statistically his one year that he had a chance to prove himself, but that on paper, if you look beyond those stats, the metrics don't show that he can be the guy. Um, in another team, especially a team uh, like Houston that might might struggle a little bit to move the ball compared to other teams. Uh, you add in Damian Pierce, and then you still have Rex Burkhead, who's going on 33 years old, I think, uh, uh, later this year, uh, who they somehow utilized a great deal and was, was one of the only guys they kept, uh, maybe the only guy they kept from that backfield in the offseason. So, uh, I am not convinced that Mac is the guy any more than I was a month ago. Uh, I think that this is GM speak with Pierce. Of course, a rookie has to earn his way into the backfield. Uh, but I do like Damian Pierce as having um, probably the most, uh, when you look at the gap between what his likely ADP is going to be and where he could end up, I think when you take Burkhead, Mac, and Pierce, Pierce has the biggest gap. 
And what I mean is he has the biggest gap between where I think his ADP is going to be, which is relatively low, and where his upside lies, which is in the top 30, if he can carve out that 16 touch, you know, he is the guy in the backfield role, which is quite possible. Um, and so, because I just don't see Mac as a major threat in that backfield. I think it's arguably, well, it's arguably bottom three backfield in the league. And I think that presents an opening for someone like Pierce to eventually earn his way into a starting role. Cats, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this is a, this is what we call an ambiguous backfield. It is wide open here. I think that there's a lot of ways it could play out. We saw Rex Burkhead post an RB one week last year. I mean, whoever saw that coming. Uh, so we, we know that anyone could end up being the guy. Uh, the Texans ran the ball last season, 43.5% uh, of the time. Given how often they were trailing, that's actually a pretty high rate. Uh, it's, it's surprising to me that they were able to run that much, but there were games I remember where they were just pounding the ball down 30 and just didn't care. Uh, but Rex Burkett is an interesting one to discuss because he, they signed him to a one-year, $2.3 million contract for this season. He'll be 32 years old in July. The Broncos gave Melvin Gordon $2.5 million. These are, these are <laughs> like, they're simultaneously insignificant, but also significant. Like, this is enough money. Yeah. It's more money than this guy's not going to matter at all, but right. not enough where we're like, okay, they're going to they're gonna push this guy as their starter. So I do think Burkhead was never intended to be the guy, and I don't think they view him as that, despite how well he played toward the end of the year. So I think he's going to be firmly third. But then we have Marlon Mack and Damian Pierce. And ultimately, I think we're just going to get a timeshare. I, I really do. I, I, don't, I don't see that. I don't see any singular back running away with this. The reality is both will be, both will be draftable in fantasy. Um, Marlon Mack's ADP obviously should drop based on wherever we were going to draft him and, and uh, where he is post uh, them selecting Damian Pierce. Um, but Pierce is also a worthwhile late round pick. You're kind of just taking a shot on someone that you hope emerges as the one a, I guess in this backfield, because the reality is that running back, if you can get an RB three in, in like the seventh or eighth round, that that's, that's worth it. That's, that's someone that you're going to be able to start. And it could be either one of these guys. I don't think either is locked in. I don't think either is, is dead by any, any stretch. So it's just, this comes down to where their ADPs end up falling when we get into late August, early September. Right. Right on. And we have one more name, one more cats. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to? Yeah. I'll let you, I'll let you take the lead on this one. Also the Raiders selecting Zamir white. Uh, this was coming just uh mere days after they declined Josh Jacobs fifth year option. Uh, perhaps there's a message being sent here. Uh, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, this is a case where uh, as fantasy managers, we have to think as much as possible um, what might the Raiders do? And I talked about this on a podcast uh, several weeks ago with the Cowboys. What might the Cowboys do, for example, with uh, an overpaid Zeke Elliott on the arguably, if not downside, beginning the downside of his career, I would say the downside, uh, and Tony Pollard, whose rookie contract is expiring. Essentially, how can you, if, if you're not going to go for a Super Bowl, what do you do with those two assets going into this year? Do you try to trade one and get some value? That automatically gives more value to the other. And the guy who gets traded would get more value as well. I see a scenario where Zamir White and Josh Jacobs, uh, because they did, they declined uh, you know, uh, Jacobs' additional year, and because White is this new shiny toy, and they still have Kenyon Drake, who was painfully underutilized last year, and who can serve as a J.D. McKissick-like, you know, 40-50 catch uh, running back easily, I could see a scenario where the Raiders make a big trade 
um, kind of like the Rams did last year, uh, but in a different way and figure out in week six, week seven, where's our biggest hole and let's figure out how to, how to fill that hole uh, and trade Jacobs away. If they feel white is ready to take over, that would give Jacobs a very interesting fantasy value wherever he ends up. If he goes to a team like Houston, where it could be wide open and he could just take over and be the monster back in that backfield or some other team that loses their starter. But the challenge here is I don't see how the Raiders just keep Jacobs the whole season and then let him walk unless they look like a Super Bowl team. And I hate to say it, I don't trust Derek Carr, and we talked about this, as being the guy to lead this team to a Super Bowl, even though they have Devontae Adams. And so I don't see how the Raiders keep Jacobs. I think they look and say, we have White and Drake. That will be enough. Jacobs did not flash to such a point that he is a difference maker any more than Zamir White could be if we give him the looks as he, get act, as he gets acclimated to the NFL. And so I would invest big in White. He is another one of those guys I would put as a top five handcuff because of the high likelihood I feel compared to other likelihoods of other teams trading their assets that the Raiders trade Jacobs. Katz, what do you think? I don't want to jump too far into the future in terms of our podcasting and the topics we're going to discuss, but you hit on something with valuing Zamir White as a high-end handcuff that I think is very important to discuss, and it's why we should target someone like Zamir White because it, there's no guarantees Zamir White matters this year. He's a fourth, mid-fourth-round pick. Josh Jacobs is still the starter, but we see a path. Based on the message the Raiders are sending us about how they feel about Josh Jacobs, about I, I highly doubt they resign him. He, so he's going to be gone, which means Zamir White is presumably, at least right now, their their handpicked running back, at least for the near future. If there's a a plausible chance that he can take over as that lead back, that's something you want to chase in the later rounds of your fantasy drafts. The concern with Zamir White is he didn't catch passes in college. And the knock on Josh Jacobs has been he doesn't catch passes. He only had a 4.6% college target share. And Jacobs really didn't start to get any utilization in the passing game until last season. Uh, he actually saw a 12.4% target share last year, which is which is great for a running back. And that yeah. was easily. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. It was 9.8% the year before. And as a rookie, it was only 7.1%. So it's, it's gradually working up. Um, I don't know if they'll utilize Jacobs as a pass catcher, despite him not doing it in college. He is a capable pass catcher. Is it possible that he transitions more to that role? And Zamir White, whose highest college target share is just 2.9%, uh, who, who caught a grand total of 17 passes in three years at Georgia in, quick math here, in 37 games. I mean, that's an average of, of well under a reception per game. Yeah. Is he going to be this between the tackles runner, this two down back, and Jacobs transitions to more of a, of a satellite back role? It, it's it's not necessarily likely, but it's certainly something that, that we need to consider as a possibility. Um, if Samir White ends up being the guy who's getting the early down carries and, and the goal line work, then yeah, there'll be something there, even if he is still in a timeshare with Josh Jacobs. Uh, so we'll have to see where these ADPs fall and what happens in training camp. I know I mentioned that a few times uh, to get an idea of how much we should value Samir White, but early glance is I think he'll be somebody worth targeting at the end of fantasy drafts. Very good. And I've got him probably a little uh, earlier uh, than the end, but but Katz, uh, you and I are on the same page on that. It, it will be fascinating. I think, I think every year there's guys that people reach for running backs 
and we regret it. Last year, I reached for Mike Davis. I mean, it was only like the fifth or sixth round. It wasn't really a reach, but I, I felt like, well, I need a guy who's going to get me volume. And, you know, he, he had the occasional touchdown. He got double-digit fantasy points like six, seven times. But on balance, he wasn't a, a difference maker. And the concern with someone like Jacobs, and a lot of us have been through it, we know, um, with the exception of last year where he really busted out, he's he's been a solid top 12 to top 16 running back, maybe sometimes in that top 11 to, you know, to 10 range on, on occasion. But in general, he hasn't been the dominant force. And I wonder... Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I wonder if the Raiders are looking at this and saying, uh, there's no reason at this point not to see what we have in white. Um, and that's that's the concern for anyone drafting Jacobs as a top 16, top 18 back. Think about what the Raiders' priorities are and then use your fantasy acumen according to that. Um, uh, Katz, as always, this was a, a pleasure. I'm really glad uh, we went through that. Hopefully it was helpful for you all um, as we really start to dig into not just you know, this guy's our 20th best running back, but really talk through fantasy is a three-dimensional game. It is a, you know, you're going up against its players and it's, it's opponents and it's, uh, you know, head coaching and GMing and time, the passage of time. And all of those factors contribute to the value of a player, which changes constantly. And we are trying to present ranges of values and buying points and selling points for some of these players. We're going to do it again next week uh, with uh, some of the back-end running backs uh, that people are not talking about as much, but some of them might provide value in deeper leagues. And, of course, we'll be back tomorrow for another quick hit episode. Again, thanks again to uh, Jason Katz, better known as Katz. I'm BJ Rudell, Pro Football Network. Find us at profootballnetwork.com. We will see you tomorrow.